Greetings and welcome to Fresh Text. Fresh Text is a weekly podcast where a pair of pastor scholars get together and study a scripture passage drawn from the revised common lectionary. We hope it'll be enjoyable and edifying for all, but especially equipping for those pastors and teachers who are preparing sermons or lessons in the upcoming weeks. I'm your host, John Drury. I'm discipleship pastor for Indiana Wesleyan University in Marion, Indiana. And my guest this week is Matt Leroy. Matt Leroy is a pastor and a speaker from North Carolina. He's a fellow member of uh, my religious tradition, and we go back, uh, way back. I've only had him, I think, on the show one time before for an episode on Ephesians a year ago or so, uh, but I've been really jazzed to have him back on the show today to talk about one of his favorite Psalms, Psalm 103. So that'll be our text today. I hope you enjoy uh, this hour that we'll have Matt looking at Psalm 103. If you're enjoying the show today, just press the share button on your podcast player app of choice and share it with someone else. Pass it along so that they can enjoy it as well. And if you'd like to support the show, just go to patreon.com slash fresh text and you can see ways that you can support the show there. Thanks for listening and enjoy this conversation with Matt. game to read the passage? Yeah, absolutely. Get us started? That'd be great. Psalm 103 in whatever version you choose. Okay, sounds good. All right, we're reading Psalm 103, and uh, I use the NIV version. That is my heart language still, part of my discipleship process. Yeah, the, the language still, you know, speaks to me on that level. So here we go. Psalm 103, NIV, a Psalm of David. I praise the Lord, O my soul. All my inmost being praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve, or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed He remembers that we are dust. As for mortals, their days are like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. The wind blows over and it is gone and its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children. 
with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Amen. Amen to that. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks so much for your character, your being, your nature as one who is compassionate and gracious, full of mercy, bounding in abiding love. Mm. And so we count ourselves blessed Mm. to get to meditate on this most wonderful of Psalms today. And so we ask that uh, that same blessing would be given and felt and known by all those who listen in whenever and wherever they are. So may our hearts be expanded wide enough to receive your showers of blessing this very hour. Pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So I'll put you on the spot, Matt. I gave you some freedom to choose. You picked Psalm 103. Why do you love? I mean, I could I could guess. It's great. But why do you specifically love Psalm 103? Yeah, uh, this is such a beautiful psalm on so many levels and layers. I love how it begins in this place of, he talks about the inmost being in this inner depths of who we are. Praise the Lord, oh my soul. And just that inmost depth of experiencing relationship with the Lord, the presence of the Lord and his benefits and all that it goes on and on about that. And yet it spreads out from there. It spreads out to talking about this is a God who works righteousness and justice on behalf of the oppressed. And so it's opening us outward. It's not allowing us to stay inward. It's moving us out. It goes on to talk about referencing the covenant of Moses and just that larger narrative of Israel's story, shared story together and orienting them in that story. I love the beauty of that. There's the echo there of the Lord is compassionate and and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love, echoing the words that God spoke to Moses there on Mount Sinai, revealing his character and identity to him. Uh, so you've got all of that. And then ending in this description of the throne of the kingdom. So you go all the way from the inmost part of who we are to that larger fully orienting reality of God's reign over all things and the the reality of who God is. And so that journey from inward to that ending, I find to be so beautiful, so much scope there. And uh, yeah, just so much to unpack. It feels like cheating picking this one because it just, you know, it's so rich and, and full um, there's so much to talk through here, but but that's that's it for me. We can talk a little bit later about this too, but this is a psalm in particular that has taught me a lot about prayer and that I keep coming back to as a teacher, that this is a teacher for me in the school of prayer. And so that's another reason why personally it's, it's uh, significant to me. Yeah, well, let's definitely come back to that. That'll be really good. I just wanted to 
confirm and expand a little on what you mentioned about the way that it the scope increases. I was just noticing, and sometimes the shifts in like persona, first, second, third person are a harder to track in a psalm, but here, like they really, there's almost a sequence to it, right? So verse one, I just circled were just the pronouns. Watch how it goes from me, verse one, to three, your, mm. to six, all, right? So like, I mean, in context, that'd be everything in me. Yeah. His, bless his holy name. Verse three, who forgives all your wrongs, yeah. heals all your illnesses. And then six, the Lord performs righteous acts and justice for all the oppressed. And then again, zooms in again, right? Right away then in verse seven, you could do the same trick. You could say, Moses, mm. Israelites, mm. us. Mm. <laughs> verse 10, and then those who fear him, his children, right? It's like kind of expanding in a similar way. And the way that he makes us in verse 10, which I think is the first time we get the plural singular, not according to our offenses has he done to us. By doing it, I mean, it's like, just as in the beginning, by starting with your own inner being, right, and then moving outward to those who are listening, you're to all the oppressed who God cares for, you're kind of identifying yourself with this larger, exactly. you know, and in the same way, there's the, what he did for Moses and the Israelites is also for us. They were, were, were part of that people. So, so it's both broad and narrow it's personal and social it's particular and singular and universal at the same time it's like it's it's working both all the angles exactly i'm not sure i ever noticed that actually (laughs) so thank you so much for i was circling those pronouns as i heard you talking and it just really stuck out to me i love that and to continue to press into that a little bit i i think it's also beautifully challenging that it orients them within that larger story of who they are as a community and that shared family story and the sense of children and children's children and how that would bring to mind the covenant with Abraham as well. And so you've got this crossing so much, but then that sense of for all the oppressed and that, that sense that keeps pressing out beyond and, you know, Israel recognizing that piece of their story, how they deeply identify with a God who's a liberator, who rescues them out of slavery in Egypt and other experiences of oppression that they walked through as a people. And yet that part also presses you beyond just the community of Israel and just the family of Abraham uh, and forces you to see all of those in the world who are experiencing that and how we are all connected to each other. And I, I think that that is a challenge that pops up there. Yeah. So even though there's not, I mean, there's not a lament here for God to save us, the speakers from oppression, though that happens in the Psalms. In this Psalm, there's, that's not on the surface, right. nor is there a, a confession of sin that I, that I, or we have oppressed others, right? right? Those are in the distant background of this particular Psalm as a praise Psalm. It's focusing on the the character of God that's true everywhere and always though revealed in specific actions. Right. All of those are those things that are distantly in the background are still implicated in the story of God that's being told here. Right. right? That, that when I'm oppressed, God's the one I would call upon. And when I'm the oppressor, I need to beg for forgiveness and that I'm going to suffer the hard edge of justice, but in the end, that's what's best for me and for all. Mm. 
So, so good. Yeah. So the compassion and kindness and, and graciousness of God that's being celebrated here, like you say, a challenge, I think is the word you used. It's a challenge to us to go and do likewise, even though that's not stated. That's right. <laughs> it's implied <laughs> which side of history you want to find yourself on. That's exactly right. Let's talk about verse eight for a second, uh, if that's okay. Cause you already mentioned that this was a, an echo mm-hmm. and I mean, I didn't look up a ton of stuff before we, we met today, although I've spent a lot of time in this Psalm cause it's one of the best, but uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> greatest hits, right? It's probably on like the greatest hits. If you're going to do a Psalms, like, you know, exactly like, top 10 or 12, like number one hits, this is probably going to be on there, right? Along with 23 and 100 and <laughs> right. How many other? songs and hymns have been inspired by this one. Yeah, that we're still singing it today for sure. But I went and did a double check on verse eight. Mm-hmm. And it's a it's a direct quote from Exodus four, uh, 34, mm-hmm. verse six. I mean, it is word for word, same order, same word choice. So it's not a mere echo or illusion. I mean, it's a it's a quotation. And it, and in a way that's confirmed by the previous line, which says, it makes his no- ways known to Moses. You know, so he revealed his name in chapter three of Exodus. I am. You know, God of your fathers, I am. I will be who I will be. Yeah. And if all you have is that, you might be like, I mean, on one level, that's so intimate to know the name of God, the proper name. And yet also there's a kind of darkness and cloud around it. I'll be who I will be. You know, you don't know. Right. So it's really not till 34 that there's this clarification that he had, that there is a character to that way. It's not just, I'll be, I'll, I'll be whoever the flip I want to be. You know, it's, it's a, right. well, yeah, that's, that's the authority I have as the creator of all things, but I have a way, I have a, a way of being. Absolutely. And it's this, this compassion and grace, this patience, this slowness to anger. Absolutely. And this abundance, this excess yes. of faithfulness to the covenant that I made because the context there's the golden calf. Yeah. You know, right. Yeah. 34 is the second gifting of the tablets. Right. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Confirming the covenant, deepening the covenant. Yeah. Which in itself is a display of that compassion about exactly love and yeah, mercy. Mm-hmm. So I find it interesting that the next line from Exodus 34, where he says, I'll reckon to the sons of the fathers, right, is, is left out. Not that that's denied, but it's, there's a little bit of a, an emphasis being placed simply on the character of God, as, again, befits a praise psalm. Right. The promise and the threat is kind of set aside, and the focus is on just the sheer compassionate, kind of infinite. Yes. Mercy of God. And even at the ending of, or further down in that section in in 17, which is a continuation of all of that same thought, but from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children. So you, you have an echo of, yes, I will visit upon the next generation, right? But it's his compassion and his grace and his mercy and his everlasting love. That is this ripple effect and this inheritance on your children's children. Yeah. And I guess in, in Exodus, right. Doesn't he say to the third and fourth generation, but the kindness extends to a thousand generations, right. Which I think is a more ancient way of not that the Psalms aren't ancient, but to the Psalm writers, those are ancient stories. Right. And the style of the Torah is different than the style of the Psalms. So you have language here of everlasting, everlasting forever and ever this more kind of, slightly more familiar language of eternity to us modern ears. 
honestly, a thousand generations is a more ancient way of making the same point, right? A thousand generations is inconceivable, you know, <laughs> to nomadic peoples who wouldn't be able to recount that far back and have, don't have any written records of <laughs> genealogy that go back a thousand generations. That's the functional equivalent of eternity. So the third and fourth generation, which sounds like a threat, is intended to mean, oh, just a temporary season, mm. you know? Mm. But the grace is stronger than sin. And when grace and sin collide, grace is the last one standing. Yeah. By a factor of a thousand to three. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Beautiful. I love that. Yeah. Well, let's take a quick break and come back and explore some more. And we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. Here with my guest, Matt LeRoy. We're looking at Psalm 103. I'll read it again just so it's fresh in our ears in Robert Alter's translation that I've been using a lot uh, this year as we've been going through the Psalms. So here goes, for David, bless, O my being, the Lord, and everything in me, his holy name. Bless, O my being, the Lord, and do not forget all his generous acts who forgives all your wrongs, heals all your illnesses, redeems your life from the pit, crowns you with kindness, compassion, sates you with good while you live. You renew your youth like the eagle. The Lord performs righteous acts and justice for all the oppressed. He makes known his ways to Moses, to the Israelites his feats. Compassionate and gracious, the Lord, slow to anger and abounding in kindness. He will not dispute forever, nor nurse his anger for all time. Not according to our offenses has he done to us, nor according to our crimes requited us. For as the heavens loom high over the earth, his kindness is great over those who fear him. As the east is far from the west, He has distanced us from our transgressions. As a father has compassion for his children, the Lord has compassion for those who fear him. For he knows our devisings, recalls that we are dust. Man's days are like grass, like the bloom of the field, thus he blooms. When the wind passes by him, he is gone and his place will no longer know him. But the Lord's kindness is forever and ever over those who fear him and his bounty to the sons of sons. For the keepers of his pact and those who recall his precepts to do them. The Lord set his throne firm in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O his messengers. Valiant in power, performing his word, the heed, to heed the sound of his word. Bless the Lord, all his armies, his servants, performing his pleasure. Bless the Lord, O oh, all his works, in all places of his dominion. Bless, O oh, my being, the Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So Matt, in the first segment, you mentioned that this psalm has been a a school of prayer for you. Uh, 
So maybe let's let's revisit and explore that a little bit. What 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 are you implying by that? What are some thoughts you might have on that? Yeah, well, I would say um, really the Psalms uh, as a whole over the last couple of seasons of my life have been that. And I'm a person, I feel a, a deep intimacy with the Lord, uh, have since a young age. And yet there's this odd sense in which I've always been really intimidated by prayer. I do it and I feel this sense of of intimacy and this sense of freedom in it, this sense of being known in it. And I'm really grateful for that because I know that's not everyone's experience. And yet, for some reason, I have felt this intimidation around prayer. And at the same time, in my role as a as a pastor, I've just recently stepped away from uh, a church that I was a part of planting, was there 13 years in a college town and beautifully diverse uh, group of people. Within that congregation, a lot of the work that we did, spiritual formation work and discipleship journeying with people, dealt with skepticism and just some of the, the large questions that people felt like were threatening to their faith in, in many ways. And so um, I loved that. I loved being in that space and, and trying to allow space and create space for people to have the freedom to ask questions and to even bless those questions. Um, when you think about how many questions Jesus asks in his ministry, it's so freeing because you realize if you don't have room for questions, then you don't have room for Jesus in your faith, right? So uh, we, we love creating that, that space. But over and over again, prayer, one of the looming uh, questions for people, not just the mechanics of like, how do I do it? How do I learn how to pray? But, but the deeper uh, gut level pain associated with it, the walls that tend to come up for people associated with it because of experiences of disappointment or um, where they feel like God failed them or where they feel like they were really hurt by something that if God could have changed it, why didn't he? And so prayer seemed to be one of those things that we kept coming back to. And I found the Psalms to be so refreshing in that journey for myself and for the people that that we were walking with. Um, because I think, you know, I think about three words, read the Psalms. Like that's a three word sermon on prayer. Uh, it's a three word like master class in prayer. Okay. And the beauty of the Psalms and the way that they just cover the full scope of human experience. And there's room in the Psalms for grief. There's room in the Psalms for acknowledging the despair that we experience. There's room in the Psalms uh, for lament, for depression, for anxiety, like to name these things and, and to acknowledge their existence and to confess their existence. And at the same time, there's hope and there's joy and there's this poetic overflow response to the love of God and compassion and grace of God that we've experienced. So, so the full scope, right? And it's absolutely beautiful. And so I feel like the Psalms as a whole, this beautiful school of prayer for people to walk through and to get that, that sense of that full reality. One of my seminary professors that just, I admire so much, Sandy Richter, Old Testament professor, uh, she says that uh, all of scripture speaks to us, but the Psalms speak for us. And I think that's also an Athanasius, the quote, quote, I get the two of those, those two mixed up sometimes, but, <laughs> but, um, but so I just keep coming back to that and the beauty that they, they speak for us. And when we, 
don't even have the words to pray, they pray for us. Uh, when we're too angry at God to even speak to him, the Psalms can speak for us. Um, when we feel like there's no way he's listening to me, I read through the Psalms and say, oh, he is. The full experience and, and the Psalms capture that. And I think it's absolutely beautiful, the raw, uh, brutal honesty uh, of these prayers that shaped the people of Israel, the prayers that shaped Jesus, right? <laughs> I know that's a radical thing to say in some ways because Jesus is the one uh, shaping the Psalms so beautifully. And yet Jesus being raised in that community and Jesus learning the Psalms and being shaped in that Jesus quotes the Old Testament around 50 times in the Gospels, right? And in the book, he quotes the most, the Psalms. And so, um, just so, so beautiful to me. And, and this psalm captures for me, like I was saying in that first section, that movement from inward, that inward reality, uh, that God meets us, not just where we are, but like in who we are, in the depths of our inmost being. And then the beauty of that word in Hebrew, the, the word soul, it's not just this internal deep place but it's the fullness of who we are holistically as, as humans, like in your translation, it's my being. Right. And so I just find that so beautiful that it moves us from this inward place, but it doesn't let us have our hearts curved inward. Right. Luther's uh, definition of sin is the heart curved inward on itself. Right. And then, you know, Wesley, obviously borrowing from Jesus says, holiness is the, is the heart curved outward in love for God and others. And so this, this Psalm does that. It lets you begin in that inmost place that God's meeting you there. You're already praying because he's already listening and he's meeting you in that inmost place. And yet it opens, it forces your heart open towards others. And it moves right into that righteousness and justice for all the oppressed moves you even further. Like we taught you everything that we've already talked about, just those movements as you go through this, I have found to be a framework uh, for teaching me how to pray. When I feel stuck or when I don't know what to pray, I can come back to this psalm and follow those movements as I'm reading through it. And I can pause and I can pray at each of those spots. When I get to the part about Moses and remembering the deeds on behalf of Israel and, and the character of God, then I can remember the larger story that I'm a part of and thank him for that reality when it moves to the throne, right? And talking about the kingdom and the reign, then then I can praise him and worship him in that. So just, I, I think it's a beautiful framework for how to pray that touches each part of who we are. Doesn't, it meets us in the depths of who we are, but it doesn't let us stay there. It keeps drawing us into that larger orientation, larger reality that we're a part of. And for that reason, I, I, I find it to be a really helpful teacher and guide in prayer. Oh man, that's, that's wonderful and beautiful. I have nothing to add except that I will. I'll add my nothing. <laughs> uh, I mean, when I heard you talk about the being curved in mm -hmm. on yourself mm -hmm. and just like, so then that concept can be abused if it means all introspection is evil, just focus on objective facts, which isn't, and then you, right. you follow that with, and this psalm meets us right there. It's actually like kind of teaching us how to 
what to say when you're, when you are curved in mm, mm. so that you can get out of it. Mm. Right. Instead of just judging you for being there. Right. Exactly. I was thinking of an old quote from the desert fathers of Agoras hands it on, although it was something he learned from, from other desert fathers, this phrase of in certain conditions of the soul, in certain times of confusion and fear, they use this phrase, you need to do what David did and tear the soul in two ah. so that one part can speak to the other. Isn't that brilliant? Like just wow. describing what's happening here, right? Because I, I mean, I'm, I pointed out the, the second person, you, in verse three, but the you just is the soul. It's the same person, right? He's saying, bless the Lord, oh, my being, or bless the Lord, oh, my soul. Yeah. Bless the Lord, oh, my throat. Well, so it's me talking to me. Yeah. And I think some people I've, I've discovered, and even in my own self, like one of the struggles, one of the obstacles to prayer is this feeling that I'm just talking to myself, you know? Yeah. And what Psalm 103 and, and a handful of others teach us is, yeah, that's where it starts. <laughs> that's where it starts. That's okay. Because you don't have a picture of who it is you're speaking to yes. in prayer. Yes. And you aren't... In, fully in tune with the true voice of the Psalms, which is Christ yes, and the true, the true hearer of the Psalms, which is his father. Mm. That's where we end up, but that's not, that's not how we can enter into them. We often enter into them just talking to ourselves. And so embracing that yes, and then letting that be redeemed because you can't, it can't stay there. If all you have is the first five, five-ish verses, right? right? Right. Even though there's a reference to God, it's really just a pep talk. Right. Right. It's saying, Hey, God, isn't God great? He takes care of you. Right. Like God isn't being addressed yet in the opening lines, Mm. though we know it's in the presence of God that these words are being spoken. That's right. If again, if all you have is those opening lines, if you just stay there, if you get stuck there, it's just a heart curved in on itself. It's just a a pep talk. It's the daily affirmation, right? It's me speaking to me. Wow. And so that's exactly right. But then it expands. And so then the expansion is the point. The pattern is the point as it, poetry always works that way. And so, yeah, very fitting that then the, the way that it ends with the same structure. And now it's, you know, the, a Psalm that begins with the self turned in on itself is now uh, the self reminding God's angels and armies to praise God as if they were going to forget, right? Like that's where you end up is so cosmic that you're like, Hey, you up there, don't forget to praise the Lord. And there, of course, they're kind of saying like, yeah, duh, we always do. You're the one who needs to learn how to do this. But that that's where it ends because that's, you know, once you sort of move out from yourself into the history of God yeah. with us and his covenant and his faithfulness and his just acts for the oppressed. Yes and his reign over everything, then you kind of begin to have, for lack of a better term, like a cosmic consciousness. So that now you go from the depths of the soul now into in the heavenly courtroom. Yes. By the end, the psalmist is like the worship leader for the, you know, the heavenly host, you know, like, all right, guys, let's get, let's do this. You know, let's praise God. (laughs) That's right. All hit praise the Lord, all his works everywhere in his dominion as broad of a scope as it can get. And then also and praise the Lord. Oh, my soul. And it comes back to that. Oh, don't forget. You got to join this. Exactly. I'm with it. We've gone all the way out, but I'm still within that. 
Um, mm-hmm. And it puts in that larger perspective and the, and the reality of that place. Yep. Heart turned outward, upward, mm. expanded. Yes. Yeah. That's right. Let's take a quick break and explore some sermon starters. All right. Sounds good. back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. I'm here with my guest, Matt Leroy, and we're looking at Psalm 103. So let's explore some sermon starters. Uh, Obviously, there's already a lot to work with in our conversation so far, but what advice would you have for those who might be preaching on this psalm or things that you might want to do the next time you're using this in a preaching or teaching setting? Yeah. Uh, Where would you want to go with that? Yeah, well, you know, the last thing you said there before the break was you used the word upward. So we begin with that conversation about inward, and then you talk about upward at the how it ends in that place. And so I think you can use that as as a bookend, and then you can think of this in terms of directions. And as you're going through each of those movements that we talked about, you can describe them in a direction. And so speaking of, uh, for me, I would I would go with prayer as being the kind of framework here. And so prayer is a journey inward. Prayer is a journey outward when you get to that sense of the heart turned outward and justice and righteousness for the oppressed. You could talk about prayer as a journey backward in remembering uh, when he talks about Moses and highlighting that covenant and all of the deeds of the Lord. And, And so you've got that echo of history and we need to do the same thing. We need to remind ourselves of this larger story that we're in uh, as far as the scripture narrative, but also the narrative of our own lives and, and God's history of faithfulness in our own lives. And then I think you could, you know, obviously you could end with upward. I think there's one more possibility in there of um, a journey forward when he's talking about um, the glories of grace here. and talking about God's God's work of redemption, God's work of salvation, which is something that moves into the future. So he talks about compassion on your children's children and this future of redemption. And we obviously, as followers of Jesus, point to a moment in time of the cross and the, the redemption that takes place in that work and in that moment. We see that and affirm that as historical reality, real place, real time, real event. But we also recognize the cosmic implications and the ongoing implications for the rest of time. So you can kind of see it as a forward or as a future, you know, a journey forward kind of idea. And then end with that uh, journey upward. That's kind of the framework that I would use if I was uh, moving through this passage. One other idea there. I think that, so if that's a starter, then I think, and maybe I'm jumping ahead on you a little bit here, but one of the things I would also do is don't just preach on prayer. Like if you're preaching on prayer, then let's make space for prayer to actually happen, right? For people to practice it together. And so I think that at each of those moments, you can you can have a couple of prayer prompts for people and give them some space to even in that moment, enter into that that act of prayer, then also that's something you could send home with people as a framework for, hey, this week, here's here's a way to practice prayer. 
Uh, here's, here's kind of a guide that this psalm gives to us as a really practical uh, overflow of this beautiful poetry. You don't often think of poetry as, as practical, but uh, this really is. Yeah. Oh, man. I mean, just that fivefold structure is pretty, is pretty cool. Just the structure is worth teaching. The inward, outward, backward, forward, upward. Mm-hmm. Did I catch that right? That sounds right. In, that, in this psalm, it's in that order. They don't always go in that order. but right. And that's a nice thing to give permission. You know, some people aren't ready to go inward right away. Yeah. You know, they need to, they need to slide into that. That's right. Um, and that's okay. Yeah, but the inward movement is that more for lack of a better term, that introspective moment. Yeah. The outward being the more intercessory moment, right? It's saying what what are the injustice out, injustices out there that I'm going to lament and, and beg the Lord to repair. Yes. Or open my eyes to that I don't see if I can't think of something. That, That's right. That's right. Where is your heart breaking and, and show me where I need to be? Yeah. So that the inward and the outward are ultimately one, right? Because I'm in solidarity with... Mm those in the greatest need. And then the backward is prayer as, as memory, yes. as remembering, yes. which is so essential. And then forward as hope. Yes. Right. Dreaming even, right. Pray dreaming. I heard someone use that phrase like daydreaming, you know, pray dreaming, just what's to come beyond me that I can't control that I'm not even asking for yet. Right. It's like that phrase in Ephesians, you know, beyond what we could even ask or imagine, you know, which implies we ask and we imagine, right? But then it's beyond that, right? But so there's the asking and then there's just the the pray dreaming. Like what might be coming, you know, in a in a future generation right. that's beyond my control or even my own influence, but that's that that's still under God's lordship. And then the upward would be the cosmic. So I'm I'm kind of again, typical me, I'm putting them in concepts, but so introspection. Yes intercession mm. that pair first then memory and hope yes and then a cosmic awareness you know yes maybe cosmic isn't the right word but that's that's what i think of when i see those last couple lines and it's already hinted at earlier with the the high above the heavens and as far as the east is from the west which is a statement about distancing us from our transgressions but it isn't just a forgiveness thing it's a perspective thing it's a like oh those are like way over there you know, you know, we're a part of something so much larger, you know? Yeah. And if we're using that journey language, then that's the, that's the road you've been on so far. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. A moment to to look at how far he's brought you in, in this journey, as far as the East is from the West. Yeah. It's already off the map. You know, yeah. you're a part of something so much larger. Yeah. So good, man. I kind of want to hear and or preach that sermon after talking with you today. That's exciting. <laughs> Maybe a listener today will, uh, who's not on duty uh, preaching this week will mm-hmm. start sketching it, and then you'll show up at church, and you'll hear somebody give it, and you'll be like, oh, maybe they listen to fresh text. Or even better yet, they just read the text, and they saw it, and they don't, they don't need to listen to this because it really is just the flow of the text. It's not, it's not a particularly uh, – you know, the, the principle in – I mean, preaching needs to be fresh and alive and authentic and contemporary, but it doesn't need to be original. <laughs> like <laughs> – Originality might be even the thing to consider avoiding. That that is right. <laughs> that is right. Uh, a reality that has existed forever. Yeah. 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 We, yeah. Exactly. I think some of us who really love the craft of preaching can fall in love with the originality of expression, 
which is fine, but that's always secondary to the utter unoriginality of eternity. (laughs) Hey, Matt, thanks so much for taking time to do this. I love hearing your heart and your words and just love looking at this psalm with you. This is beautiful, man. I love it. Can I add one more? I was getting ready to say, can you want to add one more thing before we wrap up? We got time. It was literally my next question. So you're on it. You're good. So there's, there's, a, there's an image that I've used a few times in preaching that it speaks to me. I don't know if it speaks to others, but, um, but this is one of those passages where I see it playing out. And um, I think about um, like a, a large window. Uh, a large window in a home or, or, or a building or whatever else that you're looking through and out, out of the window, you see this beautiful landscape, right? Like you can imagine that a garden or, you know, a Creek that's running through the property hill, sloping down hills in the distance, something like that. And when you look out that window, it's just breathtaking uh, this vastness and the beauty of it just, just takes your breath away. You love to stand there and you love to just look and contemplate as you're looking out that window, right? But if you've ever stood in front of a window like that, you know that if you focus your eyes right, then you can also catch a glimpse of your own reflection in the glass of the window. And so I think that's one of the things that's happening here in this passage. But there's a beauty in that. And then as always, there's also a warning and a danger in that, that how beautiful to, to catch a glimpse of yourself in that, in a reflection, but really dangerous to think that that's what that's for, right? To think that that's the main piece of this, what you're seeing, to think your reflection is, is the main picture, right? And so you're, you're seeing both at once, but you got to keep your focus uh, in the place where it needs to be. And so I like how it begins, like we said, with the inward reflection, but then it moves us out beyond that. And if we really want to keep pushing that image, then it's not just admiring from that side of the window, but but there's also an invitation in that to go and to explore, to go walk that and uh, explore the things that you'll never see from just standing on the other side of the window. So I don't know. That just uh, that image came back to me, and I can see how it kind of can overlap with this passage. And, and thought I would share that. Oh, I love that image. That's so great. And I mean, just to play with that a little bit. I mean, you know, before the sun rises or after the sun sets, the reflection is even more pronounced. Mm. You know, as it's not backlit. So then, as the yeah. as the sun rises, as as there's more light, the reflection becomes harder to see. Yes. Right. And so you can see that almost like the sun rising over the course of the Psalm, as you move out from the introspection, which is a valid place to begin, but you know, into seeing it. And like you said, eventually just like going out the door and taking a hike in it. And then the beauty is the last line, bless the Lord. Oh, my soul. It's still you, you bring, you bring the you, you saw in that reflection with you. Oh, wow. But it's a different, it's almost a different you now. It's you just participating, not you as an observer of yourself or you as an observer of this vista. It's now you as a, as a part of the vista. Wow. You're in it now. John, that's a beautiful, wow. That that's, I love that. Absolutely. And that's the real way to experience it. And it is you in it and you are caught up in it. Yep. 
and you're moving deeper into it. That's beautiful. I love that. Yeah. So you could almost think of prayer then as a movement from introspection to contemplation to participation. That'd be the, the three layers just to ruin a beautiful image with concepts, as is my custom <laughs> as a philosophically trained theologian, right? <laughs> well, I'm stealing that and I'm adding that the next time. Well, I'm stealing the image because the image is better. Pictures <laughs> worth a thousand words. Uh, and that's only three words. It's not worth much, uh, but that's a great, great, great picture. I'm also stealing that Desert Father quote. So thank you for that. That was great. Well, I love ending on that image. So that's that's a just a beautiful beautiful picture mm. of prayer and then of the Christian life and the way in which those become two sides of one and the same coin. So that's just lovely. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Matt. Appreciate your time. Thanks to all our listeners for dialing in this week. We appreciate it. Uh, we appreciate when you get the word out about the show. Thanks, especially to our uh, supporters. If you'd like to become a, a financial supporter of the show, just go to patreon.com slash fresh text. I got a day job. I don't see a cent of that. That's for Todd, who does the editorial and production work behind the scenes. Thanks, as always, to Todd. Can't imagine doing this show without you. Thanks to Tom for donating the theme music. And with all that said, we say have a good preach and a great week. Bye-bye.